What's going on, y'all? My name is Hawaii Mike, real name Dylan Salmon. This is Mask Off, a podcast about life, mental health, and hip-hop culture. Today, we have a buddy of mine I've known. What? Hello. Dude, it's been shit. <laughs> a couple o- of years. Over 15 years. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> watch this man come up in the music scene, um, DJing lots of parties in New York to DJing all over the world. Um, how many countries by now? You counting? Uh, I've lost count. Man, definitely right. lost so, count. So big things, big things. <laughs> low key, low key, humble brag. Well okay. traveled, well, well traveled, well, well traveled. So obviously, you know, well, well deserved. You know, well, well in demand if you're traveling like that. So this is a good thing. So y'all know him as DJ Mos. His real name is Masood Obana Semple. That's where Mos comes from. There you go. My, my middle name is Obana. Masood Obana Semple. Masood means fortunate Swahili. Obana means in the image of my father. Oh. And simple. You know, I actually found out like simple is like, I think it's Celtic. Wow. Yeah. So, like, yeah. So, I, it's weird. interesting. Yeah. I mean, I figured my family, like, with slavery and shit like that, yep. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. So, like, there's actually a family, a simple family crest. Uh, interesting yeah uh, some shit i found out like two years ago so. i found out i found one of those two is a salmon family crest also oh really yeah did you do, like dna shit like DNA, the, what was it like was it, i don't know whatever the dna things are called no i didn't do that yet but i just like looked it up online oh okay like i never thought to google the last name to figure out what was good but then i started finding yeah. i was like oh shit my family started doing it and then i started finding out all kinds of wild shit like, no word yeah because my mom said we're Native American, and then you do the you're DNA like, test. Just, you're like, I'm going to take it. I'm, my wife's like, I don't see anything. I'm part Cherokee, <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah, right? <laughs> I think we all are, right? I got waves. <laughs> um, all right, so that was the, the dope history lesson on the, on, the, on the name. Right. So now, born? So born in Brooklyn, New York, Brooklyn Hospital, um, Brooklyn Jewish Hospital. Um, oh, okay. All right, I was about to say, how did you yeah. survive that? Yeah, how did I survive that? <laughs> but Brooklyn Jewish. Um, okay, cool. Brooklyn Jewish Hospital. Um, then my grandmother and my mom lived in Queens. So I lived in Queens for about 10 years. Um, you know, my family's from Guyana, South America. So you're both. first generation? or First generation born okay. in the United States. Uh, my mom and dad are both from Guyana. So um, lived in my... Um, so my grandmother lived down the street from us. My my mom lived in my uncle, my great uncle and aunt's house. Uh, we had like a little, still had like a little side apartment that I lived in. And my mom went to medical school. Went to um, actually she was she was doing her residency at Harlem Hospital. So she would go to Harlem Hospital to work, and she would drop me off at my grandmother's crib down the street. And that's pretty much who raised me. So grandma. While grandma, yeah, grandma. While mom was at work, and my dad worked for the UN, so he was away in Afghanistan for the first three years of my life. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I didn't meet my dad to us three. Whoa. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. We we had we had an interesting relationship, you know? My dad is, um, you know, he, I was always kind of scared of my dad because, like, you know, you meet, a, you meet him when you're three. It's like, you know, like, where the fuck are you coming from? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But um, my dad my dad was really into, into music, and that's kind of, like, where I got my... You know my musical knowledge and my love of my love of music. But he didn't work in music. But no, no, he actually had a band when he was in college at How- at Howard University called Etc. He's a lead singer, and like his guitarist was Vernon Reed from Li- Living oh, Color. Sure, yeah, yeah. From Living Color, yeah. That's okay. as good as guys from from college. Okay. I thought that was fucking cool as hell. Yeah, that's dope. Yeah. So did did y'all ever living together, or he was never? No, no. He when he came back, we lived together, but he still worked for the UN, so he would like be out of town like 
all the time. And your parents still together? Or? Yeah, no, they divorced a couple years ago. But my dad was, his, oh. but my dad was always in my life. Like he was around and you know, taught me to shoot a basketball, like typical dad shit. But you know, he was always away with the United Nations, so That's it was crazy. it was very interesting. All right, so mostly raised by women. Mostly raised by women. Amazing cooks, which is why I love food so much. Like, and I'm very picky when it comes to like like food. You know what I'm saying? So I was raised by women, which is which was interesting. Um, strong women, definitely very strong women. Yeah, so that's really influenced my, uh, you know, my wife's a strong woman as well. So that's kind of like where I got it from. Well, you know, I'm not afraid of strong women. Um, <laughs> we kind of need that. Especially yeah, you need the way that. We are right. Yeah, we need that. Otherwise, we buck wild. Oh no, no, of course. Especially West <laughs> Indian men. You know us. You know, we crazy as motherfucker. You yeah, know what I'm saying? You, so you, um, you need the strong woman. So yeah, had, definitely needed that. So you had that growing up, right? What was school like for you? School was interesting. Um, so you know. My dad, my parents being immigrants, like they wanted me to go to like the best school, all that type of stuff. So my my dad being with the UN, he made me go. We went to the school called uh, the United Nations International School. So I went there for a couple of years, and like basically all the kids of the people who worked for United really? Nations. So it was like kids from like I remember a kid from Cameroon in my class, another girl from Egypt. Like so we were learning like. You know, we're learning, like, different languages and learning, like, nursery rhymes and, like, Swedish, that kind of shit, you know? Yep. Uh, it was a really good school. And after I moved out of um, moved out of Queens, I went to Westchester, and we went, I went to public school in Westchester okay. for a while. Um, How old were you then? I, that was uh, 9 or 10. Okay. Yeah, it's still hot here. No, yeah, they turned, <laughs> they turned the AC down. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Got my man sweating in here. Can we get some paper towels? <laughs> nah, I sweat a lot, dude. So don't, don't, like even, whole, don't even sweat it. Can we get like a whole towel, a sweatsuit? <laughs> and, I, and I'm drinking coffee. That's what, I, that's yeah, what happens. you hot-ass coffee. But Ooh. no, I was a really good student. Like, I was really, I was a good student. And my parents said I was, you know, really smart. Picked up on things really quickly. Um, but, you know, I found that, like, school kind of bored me. Like, I was always interested in the arts. You know, my whole thing was, like, was, like, um, was art and, and music. Like, those are the two things that, like, consume. What kind of art? Like, drawing? Like, drawing, yeah. Like, I was always, my mom would buy me, like, these stencil sets. I used to tr I used to trace comics. I used to make my own, like, a tracing paper. Like, I'd put, like, you put, like, canola oil in paper on, like, on, like, um, what's it called? On that clear white, like, what's it called? Uh, copy paper. Yeah. You put, like, canola oil in it, and you just let it dry out in the sun, and it turns transparent. I figured that out as a kid. You figured, well, you didn't Google it. I didn't Google shit. <laughs> like, I didn't read it in a magazine. I just somehow figured that out as a kid, and then you just dry it, and I would make my own tracing paper. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder what the ratio of um, the cost analysis on that was. But I know I probably <laughs> fucked up a bunch of comics, because, like, you know what I'm saying? You get your oil in your Spider-Man comic. So. Um, so I did that for a while. My mom put me, into, um, put me in piano lessons when I was five or six. And I played piano for like four years. Both my grand, my great aunts on my dad's side were classically trained pianists. Okay. So I would go to my my great aunt's crib every Saturday and learn piano. So music and being like, yeah, being like recitals and stuff, and written like you know, written medals and shit like that. Are they playing music in the house? Yeah, of course. Like my my dad listened to everything. My dad listened to like Doobie Brothers, um, D Train. Who else was big? A lot of jazz, like Coltrane. George Benson, okay. Grover Washington Jr., that kind of shit, you know? All right. Like, so to was, this was day, there a my, record player? Like, yeah, there was a record player. My dad has a record collection. Like, I stole so many records from my dad. My dad, to this day, still asks me about those records. <laughs> <laughs> when I started DJing, like, I would take his Hall of Notes, like, his fail-out records. Like, he was pissed, you know? Yeah, but it's worth it. 
it was worth it. But at the time, he was on CDs. So I was like, you're not going to do anything with these. <laughs> yeah, that's you know? awesome. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, so they put me in. My dad, my parents are, like, really, like, you know, influenced me to to explore music. Because, you know, they love music, and they love the fact that, like, you know, I was into it. So they kind of nurtured that. And then once I got around, like, fourth, fifth grade, I started playing saxophone. So I played saxophone for about 10 years. Oh, shit. I went to band camp and everything. Alto? Alto tenor? sax, alto? yeah. Okay. Alto sax, yeah. What was, the, what was the big The big one was the tenor, right? There's a tenor and a baritone. Baritone. Yeah. yeah, so I played in, like, jazz bands, jazz ensembles. I marched in the Macy's and St. Patrick's Day Parade. Okay. My school, like, yeah. So I was real, like, a band geek, but also played sports, so. so you, you was really about the band life? Yeah, I was about the band life, seriously. Okay. I mean, I did school of the arts. I played drums for, like, you know. Yeah, I didn't even get, I wasn't even cool enough to play the drums. I played, like, you know. I mean, <laughs> It's a lot of hand coordination with the sax, though. And I thought sax was cool. Like, you know, to me, like, again, being a kid growing up in a household where they always played jazz yeah. music, like, the saxophone was the coolest thing to me. Especially when Mo Better Blues came out, okay. like, you know? Okay. Like, I fuck with Shadow. Shadow was my was dude for me. You know what I mean? Okay. okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's kind of, like, where, um like, my musical knowledge came from. So, like, when I started, when I got introduced to hip-hop as a kid, you know, I know when I went to school, we were listening to like, you know, Slick Rick and Woo and all that stuff. But when I was home, it was always, you know, like I said, like George Benson and Roy Ayers and that kind of thing, you know? So I got the best of both worlds. So when I started DJing and starting to figure out that these, these, these rappers were, these producers were sampling the same records that my parents are listening to, then I was like, oh shit. And I want to start incorporating that into my, into my DJ set, you know? How were you? Well, did, before you started DJing, did you start buying records? No, you know, I just started buying records when I started DJing. So when I moved to White, Plain, White Plains, I started listening to uh, Hot 97 when Flex started. Okay. So that was kind of my introduction to, like, DJing. And I was, I was always like, yo, I want to do that. Like, I, like, I love what, what he was doing. I was like, yo, I want to be a DJ. For, for some reason, I would listen to those, those sets on Friday, Saturday night and be like, yo, I wanted to do that. So... I was like, okay, I don't have any turntables. So I found a kid. There was a kid that I used to play ball with, this Asian kid, and he had a, he had a set of turntables. So I, like, I somehow just, like, convinced him to sell me his, his, his setup for, like, 50 bucks. So I bought the setup, and I went to this record store, and I bought, like, Foxy Brown, Touch Me, Tease Me. I remember the first couple of records. Fuck Foxy Brown, Touch Me, Tease Me. Um, uh, De La Soul, Stakes is High. Okay. Um, what else did I buy? Oh, Mona Lisa, I Just Want to Please Remix with the Locks. Okay. And I forget what the fourth the fourth one was. I think it was Crooklyn Dodgers. I think that's what it was. Where, where, what records though? It was this uh, music plus movies in White Plains. Okay. On Marinick Avenue. That's the first. That's where I bought the records from. And like I remember coming home and like started making tapes. Like I had like little the little Sony boombox and I would plug like the fucking out into like the the mic joint. And <laughs> showing you how to do all this. Figuring it out. Figured it all out. Yeah, because my thing is like again, I was I was really into math. Like my thing was in school was math and like science. So like I had an engine. I went to school for engineering, at the University of Maryland. So like I was good with circuits and figuring out like technical shit. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So I was able to figure that shit out, and that's how I started making my first little tapes when I was in high school. But why are athletes into math? I thought athletes don't know how to do math. Dude, I was into everything, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was into all the nerd shit, yo. I just, you know what it is? Like, I knew that if you played ball, like, that girls would like you. So I was, like, playing ball basically just to be in shape and for the girls. But, I mean, I enjoy playing basketball as well, but, you know. I was kind of a kid that, like, you know, for me, I'm always, I'm very much a, a loner. I like being to myself. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like my time alone. 
So, like, a lot of times when, when I would join, like, groups like Play Ball and all that stuff, it was for me to, like, you know, be with friends and kind of just yeah. be social. You know what I'm saying? Damn. Okay. So, so you didn't have a whole crew when you was growing up? You didn't have a bunch of kids you was running with? Getting I had, like, a, I had, like, a best, I had a best, I had a couple best friends that I that lived on my block. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've always had, like, one or two best friends that I kind of roll with. Like, I kind of roll with a small crew. Yeah, I mean, all the always, time. everybody's coming to you when I see you. Like, yeah, you know people, saying? yeah, but deep. I have, like, yeah, I don't roll deep like that. I got, like, I just have, like, a couple close, close friends that I fuck with. Everybody else I'm cool with, I'm friends with. Like, I seem like it's, I'm popular and all that shit, but, like, I had, like, a just a very small, tight-knit group of friends. Anybody, any childhood friends still around? Anybody you still, what is it? <laughs> From that era? <laughs> I mean, like, there's one or two that I keep in contact with on, like, Instagram and Facebook. Um... But I would say, like, my oldest, oldest friend that I still keep in contact with is this dude, Mike, that uh, lives in Brooklyn and I went to high school with. We ended up being roommates in Brooklyn when I moved out. Um, so, yeah, he's been around forever. But, um, yeah, just people move on, you know? Uh, I just find, like, you know, when you get older, it's just hard to keep, to stay up with people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Nah, but especially when you change, that's why it's interesting to see, like, you know, some people are, like, gung-ho about where they're from. They never, or they always go back. Right. And it's always a thing. Yeah. Some of us are kind of nomadic, though, where it's like wherever we lay our head. Well, I think that's pretty pretty much what it was with me because I was always curious and loved to explore. And, like, I always looked at life like, look, it's a journey, and I never want to be in the same place. Like, wherever I'm at, I am in ten, right now, I don't want to be there in 10 years. Yep. So I was always looking for what's next, what's next, what's next, you know? Where'd that come from? I don't know. I just always had a natural curiosity for life. I just think that, like, you know... It's how I expo- found music. It's how I found art. It's how I found like, that's how that's how I that's how I became a DJ. Honestly, like I would, you know, I would hear like Flex used to always talk about the Mecca mm. on Sunday nights, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What's the Mecca? What's the Mecca?" <laughs> found out was this club called the Tunnel. All right, where's the Tunnel at? And I had to figure that out. There's no internet, so I'm like, where's the Tunnel at? I'm asking and asking. Figured out it was on 27th Street in the city. All right, I'm in White Plains. How do I get to the Tunnel? I gotta catch the train. All right, I need money for the train. So like. I convinced my two of my friends, like, look, we're going to go down Friday night. You don't have school the next day. There's a 6 a.m. train coming back to White Plains. So we can be back before people get up. So I would leave, like, the window, like, the back door of my crib open, and we'd sneak out at, like, 10, 11 o'clock, hop on the train, and went down to the club. I figured out how to chalk IDs, so I chalk everybody's ID, bring, bring a little bit of allowance money, and get in. Hold on, for those that don't know, what's chalking an ID? So, like, back in the day in New York, they, um, the old New York IDs, I forget what, the, 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 what they were made out of, but you could take, like, Crayola-colored pencils. <laughs> and there was a... <laughs> so, like, so, like, your date, the date would, like, I was born 79. So I would turn that 9 into, like, a 6 or turn the 9 into a 3 mm-hmm. by taking, like, a, like the white, the off-white one and just scratching out part of the nine and using the red one to like fill in to make it a three can't even get and it worked close to getting away with that shit oh no the way the way they're set up now nah, they, they got like they got like a laminate and shit and they, they gotta got put a like a yeah the barcode on the shit yeah, yeah you can't do that you can't right, do that all right so you get to the tunnel what's it like so you get to the tunnel had to pay off the bouncer okay I go probably, in I knew him. and i'm there so i'm there on a friday though i'm not yeah, there on a sunday this is not hip-hop night it's such a completely different night I thought it was like this every. I thought no. I thought it was. I thought it was what. The, I thought it was that every night. Nah, this is a different Far night. Far from it. Far from it. This is like it's warehouse <laughs> rave, vestile like crazy. This crazy white boy shit. 
Um, but it was cool. Like upstairs would be like Jonathan Peters or those yep. like legendary house DJs. Mm-hmm. And then downstairs was like Crooklyn Clan. Mm. So I found the hip hop basement and we would just stay down there with like, I guess it was like Riz, Scissorhands, um, DJ AP, those guys. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. Like yeah. we were there every Friday and Saturday. We'd sneak in, sneak in and go there, but I needed to go on Sunday. Yeah, so yeah. then I went on a Sunday night and dude. When, when did you go? Do you remember? I don't remember exactly what year I went, but I know it was before they shut it down. Well, obviously. <laughs> it's for, no, no, because I remember they shut the tunnel down and then they reopened it. Yeah, but no, but it wasn't. But before yeah. it was shut down, like, that was with the real grimy tunnel. Oh, that shit was crazy. 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 My wife was one of the dancers. Oh, word. Yeah. I actually, no, one night I remember was uh, Eric Sermon is too short performing, got buy you some. Mm. That was one night. That was I'd been to the. T- I went to the tunnel on Sunday like two or three times, and one of the nights was them performing "Buy You Some." Was Vin Diesel there? I don't remember. He was like <laughs> I know he was a bouncer yeah. there. I know he did security there. Yeah. And and then another time I went was um, Lyricist Lounge in mm. the tunnel, which was dope. Yeah. yeah, that's when I was a little bit older though. That shit, bro. That was a. Was that club time, was man. that club was so different, man, because it was big. Like you get lost in there. Yeah. And then the co-ed bathrooms. The co-ed bathrooms were the co-ed bathroom with the bar. Especially high school kid. As a high school kid, that was like I don't, I didn't know what to do with myself. It's crazy. <laughs> I guess a whole different world. We talked about that. It's funny because a bunch of people on the show have, have brought the tunnel up, and it's one of those. Places. It's life changing. It was. I was saying it's a club you become a man in. Yeah, either through sex, fighting, or just knowing how to move. Yeah, you just, I just learned how to move. Because getting right. through security there was yeah. crazy. Yeah. You know, that was a different thing. Because security used to take your shit, then sell it back to you. Yo, they you had to know how to move. You all had day. To, yo, I remember one time I was wearing red, wearing red in there, and it's blood's in there trying to, like, fuck with me. Like, and just learn how to, like, you learn how to get out of those certain, certain little situations and shit. Um and then also the place was endless. Like there were so many different rooms you discover and just be like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. I went to the Palladium. No, sorry, not the Palladium, the um, fucking Limelight. Oh, when shit. I was like 15 or 16, I was visiting. Yeah. I walked into the wrong room. <laughs> I never made it to Limelight during oh, those times. Limelight was scary. I heard that gym was scary. Yeah. I heard it's it. It's a church. I had friends that went to the Limelight that heard it was scary. And. It wasn't as big as the tunnel. It was just set up differently. And then the rooms that they had on the... Like, it was just different. Lord. I walked into the wrong room. Yeah. Yeah. Was, I've heard I've heard stories. Like, I went to... So, after I was in public school in, in, in Westchester, I went to All Boys Catholic School to play ball. Archbishop ah, Stepanak. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I wanted to go there to play. Because, you know, that's back when, like, basketball, like Catholic, school, Catholic League basketball yeah. was, like, the best in the country in, in New York. So... So I went to the school, play ball, and like all those kids were coming from the city, like kids from the city coming up. So like they would always tell us about, like, yo, you gotta go to Palladium, you gotta do this, yeah. you know what I mean? So did you did you play ball heavy like that? Like were you... yeah, yeah, I played. I went to five star basketball camp. Okay, you know, all star Syracuse basketball camp. Got recruited by a bunch of D two schools, um, but like I got into University of Maryland with engineering, like in their engineering program, which was like top twenty in the, in the country. Huh. So my mom was like, well, I know you want to play ball, but, you know, <laughs> you know, I feel like you should go to Maryland. And then I visited Maryland, and it was incredible. Yeah. Like, it's like the University of Maryland, Maryland campus is like the prototypical college campus you see in a movie. You know yeah. what I'm saying? What year were you there? 97 to 2001. Joe Smith was already gone, right? Who? 
Joe Smith. Yeah, Joe Smith is gone. This yeah. is during like the Juan Dixon, oh, Steve okay. Francis. Oh, you know yeah, what I'm saying? I forgot. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. That's when we won. We won the title. We be, yeah, we won the title. How was that? Crazy. Bunch of motherfuckers burning, burning, <laughs> burning their fucking mattresses and shit in the middle of campus. That's nuts, bro. Um, I mean, college life was was ill. So you you're alone now on your own. So yeah, so I'm alone on my own. Um, my parents wouldn't let me bring my turntables to college because they wanted me to focus on academics. Like, then my parents weren't into, they just didn't like hip-hop. They didn't get it. You know, they wanted me to continue to play instruments. And when I picked up the turntables and, you know, I spent all my time in my room practicing, they were just like, look, you can't bring those with you. Damn, like, you need really? to focus on your studies. Did you did you DJ anywhere while you were in high school? I DJed like, just... I DJed like friends' birthday parties yeah. and shit. Like, small, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was DJing in the pool house and shit, you know? <laughs> in the basement? In the basement. In the garage? Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, yo, when I was in, but um, DJ Sus1 lived like five minutes from me. Okay. So I used to, I remember I threw a party at my house, a house party, and like went to his crib to borrow records. So like, and I would spend time there and he would show, show old me all these scratches he was doing and shit. So he, he was killing it during that time. Like he was, uh, my boy, um, you know CL, right? Corey Llewellyn? Yeah, yeah. So Corey Llewellyn lived around the corner from us, too. Okay. Those are the crew. Those are the guys like I played ball with coming up. So CL was interning at Uptown Records yep. and was bringing vinyl back and was giving us a bunch of vinyl. So like, see, I convinced CL to start giving me some vinyl as well. So that's kind of like my first vinyl connect when I was in high school. Dope. You know? So um, so anyway, so so yeah, Sus lived, lived in the area and used to like lend me records and stuff like that. So... He was dope. He was definitely an influential person in my life coming up. And then after I left college, I actually linked up with Sus again, and that's kind of how I got back into DJing. So you didn't DJ at all at college? No, I didn't DJ at all. Like, I would start bringing my, I started, like, I started, like, kind of sneaking my records back. Like, I would go home to get do laundry, and then I would stuff a bunch of a bunch of records in the in my bag and bring them back. Like, I started bringing them back <laughs> slowly. And to set up the turntables in my, in my, in my dorm room, and uh, I used to, like, so I had the turntables at college, but I wasn't, like, DJing parties. I was always too, like, nervous. Like, I didn't think that, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, really? I didn't feel like I had the, the, the vinyl. I just didn't want to, you know what I'm saying? Okay. People knew that I liked to DJ and knew that I had records. But there were other DJs on campus who had, like, who were down there to, you know, DJ. Like, they had their shit. But you were a ball player, so you had a certain amount of confidence, right? No, I wasn't what playing was ball in Maryland. No, but I'm just saying, but in general, you play ball, you play sports, you had yeah, good grades. You, yeah, but you, you know what? I, I could say this my entire life. Like, I've always, I've always, I've always had a thing with, like, um, with, um, with uh, being, playing in front of crowds. Like, being in front of crowds. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, always suffer from, like, some sort of stage fright. Really? You feel me? So, like, even, like, DJing, it would be, like... Like, nerve-wracking, like, oh, shit, I got to play. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you freeze up. Still like that now? You know what? It doesn't, it's not as bad. I've learned to manage it by forcing myself to become a DJ. Like before. we said before, just doing it. Just doing it. That's that's the thing. I, I guess that's what I kind of wanted to get to in this, when we were talking about, what we were talking about earlier, is that, like, the reason why I just started to really DJ heavy is because I used to be nervous to DJ, and I knew that I was good at it. You know what I'm saying? And okay. I want to overcome this stage fright I've had my entire life. And I was like, look, if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. You feel I me? Mean? Like, my first time DJ, uh, remember the first time I DJ, I used Sus. Like, Sus was like, look, dude, if you don't start, like, doing your own shit, like, he gave me his records. Because I didn't have enough vinyl to play a party at that time. He was like, look, just use my records. You've opened up with them before. Here's a party. You do it. And I'm up in there just, like, like a deer in headlights. Like, oh, shit, what am I doing? You feel where, me? where was this at? 
This is at this place called, um, it was right across the street from Envy. I think it was called Groove Jet. Remember, it was like 283 Spring Street. Yeah, I remember. Well, Hudson is here. Right, yeah. It's a place called Groove Jet. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so this guy wanted wanted Suss to DJ. The money wasn't right. And I was Suss's opener, and he was like, look, here's the records. And I went up there, and I played. And I remember, like, the fucking Peaches of Cream record started skipping. Like, it was, like, I got through it. But that from that point on, I realized, yeah, I'm good. I can do this, and I'm good at. I'm like, I'm I'm capable of doing this, and like, I just kept pushing at it because, again, like, I have this. I don't know what it is. Like, it's this kind of nervousness, that kind of stage fright thing. I mean, I mean, where does it start? Is it that inner voice telling you you can't do it? Is it? It's not an inner voice. It's the kind of fear of failure. Mm. You know, and I think it's like a lot. A lot of artists suffer from this, mm-hmm. but like, you know. You know, when you're doing shit on your own, like, you know, you're just like, you know, no matter how good you are at something, like, you have a fear of failure. You don't want, you know, whether you're making music or whatever, you're cooking a meal, you don't want people to say this shit sucks, you know? Well, then, yeah, I mean... But you got to kind of put... But the thing is, you got to, like, push past that and realize, like, you know, and have confidence in what you're doing. You feel me? No, 100%. Because if you don't shoot your shot... If you don't shoot your shot, you're never going to make it, exactly. Yeah, so it's like... Right. That's, but that's the thing. So how do you... Are there certain things you do to overcome it? Like What it a, is, is, like, you get this... It's an it's a, it's a anxious feeling that I start getting. You know what I'm saying? And, like, what I did was I kind of used that... I used that as fuel. Like, the more anxious I get, I would get, the more the harder I would go. Like, if I was playing something, I was like, yo, I'm not sure about playing this record, I'd start playing it. Like, I intentionally went there and started reaching for, like, my first party that I had a residency was for this guy, Voodoo Ray. Rest in peace, Voodoo Rest Ray. Rest in peace, Ray. Voodoo Ray, like, literally, like, playing for his crowd, him, like, like Beverly Bomb would come through and different people because they would all go to APT on, because um, it was on a Wednesday night, so they would go to our party first and then we'd all go to APT later. So it was a very, like, musically eclectic crew. And it just gave me the confidence of just being able to play whatever the fuck I wanted. And people fuck with it, you know what I'm saying? And once I saw all these dancers and all these people, like, really groove into what I was doing, it just gave me the confidence, like, yo, this is it. I know what I'm doing. Like, I'm good at this. Were you like that in playing ball or anything else? Yeah, when I was playing ball, like, once I, once I, once I, once I started playing, like, once I started playing with my friends and stuff like that, I realized, like, yeah, I'm good at this. No, you but know? I mean, but did you have that same anxious feeling playing ball? Yeah, when, ball? I, was, when I played, I had that anxious feeling when I was playing in big games, when I was playing for high school. Like, when I was playing in front of, like, crowds, like, I would have those times when I'd be, like, you just start feeling, like, anxiety. And I, I didn't realize later to th- that it was anxiety. Yep. I always thought it was, like, again, I always said, look, stage fright. But really what it is is anxiety. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's this shortness of breath, mm-hmm. the butterflies, like, you start to stiffen up. You know what I'm saying? Did you ever ask for help around it? Like, who did you... No, you know what? I never asked for help around it. When I first started, when I first started DJing, it like I felt it and then when I started like really getting into the groove of just playing often it kind of I just kind of ignored it mm-hmm. and then I started and then I and then I started drinking and then having a couple drinks would alleviate it so I'd get, I always get it before I go on and then I'd have a couple drinks and then it's fine okay you know what I'm saying you need that liquid courage exactly so like even to even to this day my friends will tell me like yo when you're about to DJ, like I'm gonna be at dinner before before a gig, and like I get super quiet, like mm-hmm. hour before the gig, super quiet. Like I'm not talking to people. I'm very kind of like standoffish. I don't want people talking to me. It's almost like a fighter. Yeah, like you get into like this like this zone. But for me, it's like I'm trying to deal with like I start feeling that tightness, and I'm like, all right, it's ready to go. You know? Do you? I mean, obviously you talk about it, but do you talk about it like 
Like no, no. I've talked about I've talked about it, and that's like I went to like I actually went to a therapist um, a couple years ago just to kind of like yep. sort through some shit, and that's when they were like, "Yo, I think you suffer from anxiety." Because I was I started telling them like, "Yeah, I don't know why. Like I just get this weird feeling before I DJ, mm-hmm. before I work." And I know I it just like I just feel like being antisocial and I want to talk to people and so they said I think you suffer from anxiety like you have anxiety attacks. And what you know? do, what do they tell you to do about it? No, it's all about breathing. Yeah, it's all about like managing your breath and being present. Because the thing about anxiety, what it is, is like it's you're living in the future. Yep, you're worrying about what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and by worrying about what's going to happen, you're fucking up what's going on right now. You're basically it's self fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. So if you just worry about if you live in the present and you worry about your present state, then the future is going to be fine. You don't have to worry about it. Because there is no future. There is no future. It's what you're doing now is dictating the future. So you worrying about the future is just going to make the future suck. But it's like they say, you know, um, what's always coming but never gets here. Exactly. Tomorrow, right? Like exactly. It's never. There's never the future. It's only now. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And and it's hard to realize that. Yeah. Because you're not told shit like that. Yeah. Like for the most part. We're not taught that, you know. We're not taught that, and I don't think our parents were even equipped to 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 to, drop, to give us that knowledge. But I feel like now, like because mental health is such, I mean, there's so much so much awareness now yeah. that it's easy to find places to figure these things out for yourself or there people to talk to, you know. You know, but again, like the way I dealt with it, like again, it wasn't the most healthy way to do it. It's starting to like you know the drinking <laughs> all that shit, you know what I'm saying? But you know, it it made me realize that there was an issue. Yep. After a while, you know. I mean, but that's good. Like, if if you don't realize it, and you just keep drowning in it. Then it becomes a real. Yeah, issue. you keep drowning right? because I was able because even before I was drinking as a DJ, like I f- I was able to get through. I could get through a gig and be fine and, and enjoy my enjoy the gig. But not every gig was great. Yeah. So the gigs that weren't great were like fuck, you know. And so what happened after a bad gig, or a gig you thought wasn't good? After a gag, I would just like honestly like after bad gigs, those stitch things would sit with me for like a week. You just beat yourself up about like, it, like for a week. Like I was really hard on myself about bad gigs, and I think that's also partly the reason why I got so good at DJing because I was super critical of myself every fucking night, like every night. I got I got I just read a book. I got, I, actually, I'm gonna send you a copy. Oh really? I just read a book. <laughs> yeah, it's called Nonviolent Communication. Word. And it's basically about that. Word. And how judgment. And how we're basically not able to listen, mm-hmm. right, and just be there, right, right, because we're too busy judging, right. We're too yeah. busy trying to fix it, yeah. We're, instead of just listening, like somebody might be complaining, you'd be like, "Oh no, you could do this and fix it. You could do this." Yeah. They're like, now you're criticizing me, right? Now you're telling me what I'm doing wrong and everything else. I just yeah. wanted you to sit here and listen to me, right? You know what I'm saying? But yeah, we're so yeah. judgmental, and then through the judgment, we try to fix it. Exactly. No, I feel what you're saying. I feel what you're saying. I think also a lot of that came from like my parents. My parents being West Indian strict, like they're very much about, you know, like success and doing, you know, being like excelling. So like when I would make, when I'd fuck up, like I always would like, you know, like they would yell at me or I get in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Like so for me, like that approach. I mean, look, I don't complain about. I don't complain about my upbringing. I think it was. I mean, it made me into who I am today. You know, made me a success, but you know, I think that there has to be a healthy balance between you know success and also being to managing failures. You know what I'm saying? 
Well, but that's the thing. Is if we call it failure instead of trying to learn a lesson. But from yeah, so it's it, not like really failure, and then that's also yeah, well, you're right about context, that. No, no, I'm just saying, but it's the context, right? Because a lot of times right. that's how we're taught, yeah. right? Oh, you fucked up, you failed, you did this, exactly. we're criticized, we're judged, we're told right. we're wrong, and then we're exactly. and then we're um, reprimanded for it, right? But that's not how you help people. That's not how you help people. Not, not that's at not all. How you teach? You're somebody. supposed to learn that you learn from your mistakes. You're supposed to learn, right? Right, and that's not what I try to do. Yeah, and that's what I've learned to do. And you know, it's and it's interesting because, you know, there've been the thing that also attracted me to DJing was that like when I'm up there and like because DJing to me I always look like playing sports. Like you get into a zone, mm-hmm. and when you get into that zone where you're just it's just you and it's just you and the music. Yeah. And I would find when I got into that space, it was the most relaxing thing. Like it was, it's like almost like I was high at a, at a certain mm-hmm. point, you know. Mm-hmm. And like I always tell my wife sometimes, like when I'm DJing, I'm, I'm like that. She's always trying to like talk to me and shit like that. I'm kind of like brushing her off. She's like, "You get mad rude." I'm like, "No, I'm, I'm in my happy place right now. Like uh-huh. this is meditation for me." There you go. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is where I, like that's why I, I would show up to gigs early just to get there and just get into that space. Right. You feel what I'm saying? Nah, but that's dope because again, you're DJing. And most of the people that are at the party are looking at you. Right. Or most people that follow you on social media appreciate what you do and, and hold you to a certain regard. Yeah. Right? But meanwhile, you got all these things that you got to do to get even into that place. Yeah, and it's like, you know, you always have... And then there's also also the pressure of like, look, you might go out to a party, you know, once a month or, you know, once in the weekend. Like, I'm I'm at the party four, four times a week for the last 20 years, so... Even when I don't want to party, I got to be in the mood to party. You know what I'm saying? So yep. it's like, it's that pressure of just getting into like, it's like game mode. You does know that ever feel like a job then? Does it get to that point? Sometimes it does. Like sometimes it does. I can't, I can't front. Sometimes I'm just too tired. Like I'm just like, I can't do it tonight. Like I just don't want to do it tonight. So but happened? you know what? Like when I get there, I don't know. Just like when I get there and I start playing, it's just something about the music and just the repetition. Yeah. You know, again, I, I, I associated with like meditation because I started meditating and it's like you get into this place where you're just focusing on this one thing. Like I'm focusing on mm-hmm. playing music. Yeah. And like once you get into that zone where you're just there and the mind clears, you're not thinking about anything else and you're just doing this. Th- you know what I'm saying? Are you playing for you? Are you playing to the crowd? Are you playing to the client? I feel like you're supposed to, look, you're supposed to play to the crowd. I feel like that's the right answer. <laughs> I'm not asking you the right answer. I'm it's the answer. right answer, but the answer, I, honestly, more t- nine times out of ten, I'm playing for me. Okay. But, again, what I feel like what makes me different than a lot of DJs is that wherever, whatever crowd I'm in front of, I can put myself in that frame yes. and play for that crowd yep. and still play for myself. Like, I've played, I've played, I remember I did a club that was just all rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And I had to play rock music all night. Mm-hmm. Like, but I put myself in this frame, like, oh, I get to play all these songs I've never played before. Oh, shit. Like, so you get yourself into that frame, and like, now I'm just playing that. And I'm cool with it mm-hmm. because I'm playing records that I like from that genre all night long. Almost chameleon like. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We'll, we'll Gift keep, and a curse. What keeps popping up for me? The UN. What's the United Nations? Yeah. I think that's also what it is, like, the multiculturalism as a kid, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, you know, traveling and just and being uh, and, and, and hanging out with kids from different cultures. I think that definitely had a big influence. And, like, again, my, my parents, like, listened to a lot of different music. And, you know, as a kid, like, I mean, I grew up on hip-hop, but I grew up on MTV, too, and VH1 mm-hmm. from, like, the 90s. Yeah. But they weren't playing, like, a lot of hip-hop, you know what yep. I'm saying? Like, watching Headbangers Ball one night, you know what I'm saying? Like, watching MTV Spring Break, all the pop shit, you know what I mean? 
when you were around the other kids young, were you ever trying to not, like, not fit in, but was it ever a feeling of, like, I had to, like, kind of, like, be chameleon-like with them? Yeah, to a certain extent, you know what I'm saying? Or did I, you find yourself learning to be their culture? You know what I mean? Just I've always felt like, you know, I've always felt a little bit outside the culture at certain points uh-huh. with my friends because, like, you know, we're listening to, like, I mean, listen, I'm, I was the first kid to know, all this, like, every lyric on Illmatic, like, every, every, every word on Illmatic, you know? I was the first kid to know that, but at the same right, like, I go home and we're listening to, like, I don't even know, like, there'd be, like, the Madonna joint would come on and be like, yo, dude, the Into the Groove is the shit. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you was just... <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean Jane Child is dope? Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but, like, you know, again, I think I felt like that, again, to me, music is music. Yeah. You know, good music is good music. You know, I don't kind of, I don't look at it like one genre is better than any. I mean, of course, I grew up with hip-hop. That's my yep. shit, and that's what I grew up with, but, like... Again, I just as much love 80s and 90s pop. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That has just as much raised me as hip-hop, but in my that, opinion. that allows you to get in that zone. And it allows right? me to get in that zone yeah. and be able to play in those different... And yeah. I think that that's been one of the things that like has helped me in my career. Yeah. You know? A lot of the things we're good at seem selfish, right? They seem like they're just for us. Really? Right, well, I mean, like you said, it, it could be looked at or misconstrued as you being selfish to say you play music for yourself while you're DJing. Yeah. Right in front of a crowd, but some DJ, I feel like some DJs get into that zone where like, and then I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody for doing it because I think that like, you know, establishing an identity for yourself is important. Yep. I think it helps you, like you know, guys who play just dance music, you know, blow up and come Calvin Harris, those kind of guys, you know. I feel like open format guys who play different genres and can switch from different genres. It's hard to kind of place them, mm-hmm. you know. So you end up just being a generally. But I think that's what DJ is supposed to be. You're supposed to be able to play everything. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, also at the same time, I think, and I struggle with this a lot, is is a lot of the things that I've done have only been things that I like. Yeah. Right? Could be selfish. If if I just, no, 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 if I, all right, so say this podcast. If I just did this podcast for myself and didn't put it out anywhere. Yeah. That'd be a little selfish, right? That's true. Right? (laughs) That's true. I'm so, I mean, I am selfish in that way. I mean, listen, I've got, you understand how many mixtapes and live recordings I have of myself that are sitting on my computer that I've never put out? Like ten like I have mixes from ten years ago from my from my party, <laughs> live mixes that I'm like, oh shit, I should put this out, you know? But like it's so it's it's selfish to not put it out. But again, it's sometimes it's just, it's just personal to you and sometimes, you know, again that and that also goes with that whole thing about being judged and like the fear of like, what are people gonna think? You know? Have you ever went all the way through that process? What do you mean? Like, just thought all the way through it and just kept asking yourself what that would be and what that would feel like. If I didn't put that... No, well, I've done... No, if you, if, no, 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 I'm saying if you did it or, or, like, did you ever feel so embarrassed you couldn't do something again? Or well, yeah, I've done that. Like, so I've worked through that. Listen, it's taken me years to work through these different... Like, I, these are problems that I currently deal with and ha- I've worked through throughout the years. Okay. Like, even putting out music. Like, the music that I've put out, like, you don't understand, like, I have so many songs that I've never put out, but the songs I have put out are me sitting there and being like, dude, you have to put this shit out. Like, this is what you're gonna do. If you keep this under wraps, then it's gonna get old. You're never gonna put it out. Like, the shit's just as good as everything else that's out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're gonna regret never putting this out. So, like, eventually I do. But that's what, alright, so, what I'm trying to figure out is, like. Right, 
So I have that same kind of fear of success, right? That yeah. Or fear and it's, of... it's, in, it's a little bit, sometimes it's it's a fear of success. It's a fear of like, oh shit, I'm going to have to follow this up or something. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And then you put these other pressures on you, exactly. right? But at what point do we stop being that critical, right? Because nobody's as critical on us as we are on ourselves. I don't know. I don't. I think that, like, it again, it has to do with, you know, I think, again, I keep preaching about meditation. I think it's a time, you have to start to, like, quiet your mind. Because mm-hmm. there's so many different voices in your head, like, telling you different things. You can't, you can't, you can't allow your brain just to run wild. I think Joe Rogan calls it your monkey brain. Mm-hmm. Like, I you mean, gotta just shut the monkey brain up. Like, mm-hmm. shut the fuck up. Like, just, well, you know, like, you know what the, you know what the path is. You know what you have to do. Yep. Like, you know? You know that, like, okay, you're going to have to start making, in order to be successful, you're going to have to start, as a successful artist, you're going to have to start making shit art. And you're going to continually make shit art. You're going to make shit art for a long time. Eventually, that shit art's going to become good. But if you never put out that shit art, you're never going to progress because you're never going to move on from that shitty project. Like, you put out that shitty project, then you're going to have to make another shitty project that's a little bit better and another one that's a little bit better, a little bit better. But if you never put out the music or never put out the art, you're going to stay in that same place because until you put it out, it's never, you've never. Well, you haven't done anything, right? You haven't done anything. You haven't haven't released, you haven't let it, let it, let it go. But that's the interesting thing about fear, right? Yeah. Is fear paralyzes us. It is. And we'll just sit there and be stuck and we'll be scared of something we haven't done. And then what I found is when you actually do it, it's never as bad as you thought it was going to be. You ever seen that Will Smith movie, um, what's it called, Um, After Earth? The one with uh, with the Jaden Smith. No, I don't think I did see that. That's actually. the one that I guess it was. It was like <laughs> it was critically. It was not a great movie. But the, the one thing I really got for that movie is that the whole philosophy of it was fear isn't real. Mm-mm. So the whole thing is about this. It was about this monster that like is blind, but it senses fear. Mm. So the only way that Will Smith was the only guy was able to to kill the monster because he lived his life thinking like fear is not real. Fear is basically you are worried about something that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So the monster hasn't killed you yet. So why are you afraid of it? Mm-hmm. You're, you, have, you haven't even fought it yet. Like, your fear isn't real. Mm-hmm. If, you le- if you live your life like that, then you'll be able to, like, ac- accomplish anything and succeed at anything because you're not afraid. So why can't we do that? Because our fucking... We can't, we can't <laughs> quiet our brain because our brain... <laughs> we, are, we, are, we, are, we are wired. We are, as human beings, we are wired to... Fear is a defense mechanism. You know what I'm saying? Okay. To prevent us from... Like when we were like hunters and gatherers, we were like, you know, like you're out in the forest. Like fear is a... You're, the fear is to protect you. And then what is it now? But now that we live in a, in a society, we don't have to worry about getting eaten by a lion. It's like now it's just, you know, it's just us. I don't know. Putting out music, uh, <laughs> putting out a podcast, you know that's, what I'm saying? Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, how do we get past? Because, I mean, think about how many people out there that don't realize or don't even start to go towards their dream. Right. Because of that fear, right? Because we're told in this society, we have to go get a job. Right. We have to take care of ourselves. And then if we have time and enough money, yeah. then we can deal with our hobbies, which are the things we're passionate about. Well, that's the thing. I, I would say, I, I, I could honestly tell you that, like, when I started playing, what... I went after like listen when I really got into deep when I really got into it and really got confident with what I was doing like I just was like look I, I wasn't 
I wasn't afraid to approach people to ask them for jobs. Mm-hmm. Like I was one of those kids that was like calling motherfuckers all day. Like I was going up to Damon DeGraff. I was like, just walk up to Damon DeGraff and Coltrane. Like just as a, <laughs> I was an opening DJ. I was like, yo, I need you to manage me and Coltrane. I need a gig. Like you know what I'm saying? Like that kind of shit. So I was very bold in that in that way. And like because I felt I had nothing to lose. Okay. I felt like look. It's not like I'm not like they're like not like they're not gonna hire like they're not like I'm they're not gonna not give me money. They're not giving me money now. Like yeah. they're not they're not hiring me What's for shit now. What's the difference? So I might as well just shoot my shot and see what happens. And over time, like I developed relationships and was able to, you know, build this career with just being bold and being aggressive. But then as you get more and more successful, then you start thinking like, whoa, let me not ruffle feathers too much because I don't wanna be that guy and not uh-huh. be, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to mess up that money. Yeah, and that's what happens the thing a lot of times with people like once you become successful, you start you stop you stop wanting to take risks. Mm. You know, you want to play it safe. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that that's what a lot of people go through in entertainment. It's like you become like this, look, I don't want to fuck up the money now. Mm. Now I got it. I don't want to fuck it up. I mean, some people are the opposite. Some people are just like now I'm a fucking buck wild and I, nobody can tell me shit. Yeah, but like that's a different. Being going buck wild and, and nobody telling shit is definitely like career choices and like you know what I'm saying, <laughs> like going hard, going hard, you know. Um, but it's interesting that you're you're so bold and you don't care because you ain't nothing to lose, right? On that yeah. side, but then put you by yourself and you're about to perform when you got the gig. Yeah, then you get and that. then that's when you worry. Then you start worrying about okay, cool, like I can't is, fuck the gig up. Can't fuck I can't, the, fuck, the, I can't I, fuck the gig up. But okay. But you could fuck up trying to get the gig and then yeah. not get the gig. Right. That's true. That's you, true. You know what I'm saying? It's, right. it's 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 kind of the same, and that's why I always kind of use curiosity and fear. Right. Right. Because it's the same thing. Yeah. The outcome is just different. Right. 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 Curiosity could be anything, but usually it's good. Yeah. Fear is like there's something I don't want to see at the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Again, like it took me a while to get to that place where I just stopped. Like, I mean, now when I approach gigs, to me, I've DJed every single type of party that you could DJ. So at this point... <laughs> I'm going to start throwing random yeah, ass shit out there. Like, you ain't never DJed the short people's ball no, at like, the... No, so when I'm in front... No, no, but now, like, no, but honestly, like, now that from doing, th- from doing things over time, like, now it's like... I could walk in front of anybody and just pl- I feel that confident and I could kill the room. You know, you feel what I'm yep, saying? Yep. But I can tell you that I still do get that anxious feeling before the gig. It's just something like I don't know if this I don't I don't know if it's something that will ever go away. Mm-hmm. It's just something again, it's something I feel like you just have to figure out how to manage. You but feel me? That that might be your entry point and your way getting into your flow. Right? Yeah, and that's why I kinda look at it look right? at it like it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Right. Yeah, that's what I look. That's I forget. I was reading something about somebody was uh, read something about that. How like a lot of like athletes and stuff like that. It's like, it's not fear. It's more like, it's energy. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. this energy build mm-hmm. up. Like it's anticipation. Mm-hmm. You know, feel what I'm saying? It's it anticipation be... and focus. And what it does, it also helps me focus. That's another thing that's great about it. it I feel like it does help me focus right. because I like again. I get quiet and like I'm very much. Yeah. Like, I mean, in my mind, I'm already, like, picturing what's going to happen. Yeah. You feel them before it's happening. I mean, why did MJ wear his fucking North Carolina shorts under exactly. his uniform his it's whole a, it's career? Exactly. A, it's, a, it's a routine. It's a, you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, you know, I know some other baseball players that take their ice bath at a certain time. and Yeah. Everybody has their little thing. Right. Right? That part is okay. Right. You should be okay with that. You shouldn't have to say, this is my 
problem where I have to do this. Right. I get to do this because it puts me in this place. Exactly. No, that's exactly what it is. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's more of a, it's it's again, I get super focused and stuff. But again, like, you know, through being becoming a DJ and forcing myself to to perform in front of people, it's really helped me with, like, public speaking, just, yeah. like, and everything else about life. Like, I'm, like, a lot, like, doing things like that are a lot easier for me now as a result of me just doing this, which was the original, which was my intent in the beginning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I do remember, like, when I first started doing clubs, I was like, how the fuck am I going to do this? Especially when I had to start speaking, like, talking on the mic. Like, that was another situation. <laughs> Dude, being on the mic used to be the worst. Like, yo, I was the worst on the mic. I remember I was doing a Russell Simmons. It was Russell Simmons that uh, used to do his Art for Life benefit. Mm-hmm. Ten yep. years. Yeah. So the first time I was doing it, first year, I remember um, I remember Isis, who used to work for Russ. For Russ she, was, um, she was like, look, we need you to um, just invite, make sure, like, people coming inside and sit down. I'm like, okay, cool. I can do that. And I get on the mic, I'm like, what? So, uh, <laughs> yo, dude, I fucked it up so bad. She's like, listen, we just gonna have the voice of God do this. You just focus on the DJ. <laughs> this is like, yo, this, yo, this had to be like almost 15 years ago. Um, I was so bad. But again, like, um, Sus One, you know, shout out to Sus One. Um, Sus really good on the mic. And like, through watching him, and he, him making fun of me every time I jump on the mic, he was just like, yo, you just do it. And he would just make fun of me every time I did it. And it just got, I just got used to it. Yeah. I got used to it. So now it's easy for me now. Now, like, I'm I'm literally, my wife is like, shut the fuck up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love being on the mic now. Yeah, but again, it's a, it's a thing, like you said, like, fear is not real. Like, you just have to keep doing it. Once you keep doing it and keep, the rep- you get used to it, just like, yo, you, you get over the fear. Yeah. You realize it's not real. You realize that, like, yeah, you, you, can, you can do this. Anything you do it just takes practice. Because those voices, bro. It's that voice in your head, like, telling you don't do it. Well, if you notice... It's it's not one voice usually, no, right? Because you have contradictory. You'll have one that's positive. And you'll right. have one that's like nah, and then you'll be listening to it, right? So you know it's not you. That's that's the tough part, right? Is right. to be able to separate that. Because if you can hear it, if you can tell it, it's not you, right? Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that like the voice. The voice that is you is is not that voice. It's not the negative voice. Well, and no, no. It's not that it's not the negative or the positive voice. I'm just saying those voices that you hear right. aren't you. Because you can separate yourself from them. Right. right. And if you can hear them going back, they're not mm. you. Right. That's the part. Again, but they're so prevalent in our heads exactly. and in our minds yeah. that we believe it. Because we've been living with them so for so long. Exactly. Right? Right. So now, next time you hear that voice... Whatever voice it is, put a face and a name to it, and you just and then put it next to you, and you sit and you quiet the shit. You tell the shit to shut the fuck up. No, 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 (laughs) let that motherfucker talk. But now look at it with him sitting next to you or her sitting next to you, right? Yeah. Would you let a motherfucker sitting next to you that you could see talk all that shit to you? True. Yeah. No. Not at all. Nah. You'd be like, bro, what? Nah. Go over there. Yeah. Like, don't even shut the fuck up. Just beat it. Just get the fuck away from me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And and so. It's it's those kinds of things and understanding that that's not us, so we can't get caught up in that. Yeah, right. It's not easy, but that's part of where meditation, right? Yeah, that's. I mean, dude, it's it's so. I think that's so important, especially again. It's so important with everything that's going on because even now with like social media and all that shit, there's a, there's so much to distract you and so much to think about that you just it's hard to focus and you have all these different voices and all these different things like pulling you in different directions. And it's like you have to. 
figure out a way to just quiet everything, all the noise out, and be able to focus on what it is that you want to do. Because, you know, a lot of us, you know, we, we're, we're so, again, we're just so being pulled in different directions and our intentions being pulled in different directions. It's hard for us to to move forward in life and that's what and that's where like depression and all that stuff comes from I think yeah. I feel like you're just like you're looking at Instagram and like oh my god this person's traveling this person's doing this this person's doing that what am I doing blah 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 it's like the whole time you're worrying about what other people are doing you're sitting on your couch not doing shit mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying or sometimes we're worried about what other people are doing and we are doing shit and we and are flying all over the and place. That's exa- and we are busy as fuck. And we are getting paid. And we are taking that's exactly care of what our families. I had some. And- I had a friend. I had a friend of mine. I had a friend of mine come up to me the other day once and be like, you know, I, you know, I see you're, you're flying all over the place, and I'm just sitting here sitting on my couch, and I'm like, no, I'm sitting on my couch like five days a week. Like, look, you don't understand. Like, I may be traveling like a bunch, but like a lot of times I'm just chilling. Like, I'm not. It's not. It looks like it looks. Going on Instagram. But are you chilling? Not you, really chilling, but, but, but like, but that's the thing you don't is, see the behind the scenes work and the daily grind that goes into even go, doing all that but, or the travel you, to get to these places. But do you see it? Like, that's the yeah. real key, right? Is is when we're thinking about all these other people and what they're doing, do we see what we're doing? I'm able to see the thing with me is like, again, I'm. Again, when I, when I find a problem, I'm like, I'm very analytical about trying to solve it. So, like, I look at the root of the problem. I'm like, okay, cool. Instagram is the issue. And I'm like, and I figured out early that, look, it's a case of keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, yeah. FOMO. Yeah, FOMO. Like, On you can't. Thousand. Yeah. So, I started looking at people's pages. And I start, when I would start feeling like, yo, I'm not, doing, I'm not doing enough, I'm like, oh, wait a second. This is Instagram. Like, they're just posting the best shit. Like, just like you posting the best shit. So, obviously, you need to stop focusing on what other people are doing and focus on what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? So, I learned that quickly quickly about instagram so like i'm very much again aware of that whole thing and i try not to fall into it i mean it's hard to not sometimes you do but like it's i'm able to snap out of it yeah but it's like all right so i'm kind of getting you towards the the self-gentleness part right okay like like because again we judge the shit out of ourselves oh yeah right and we're harsh for no reason yeah and because it's our lives and we know the speed. Mm-hmm. As soon as we slow down a little, we think we're not doing shit. Yeah. Right? And as soon as we're speeding up, we're not appreciating it. But do you think that's natural for people? Do you think it's natural to just work, 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 work? I think everybody's different, right? right? I think the things that are natural to people and I think the things that are similar are what a lot of things that we talk about, right? Right. Those voices. Yeah. Anxiety. Mm-hmm. Stress that we add on to ourselves that's unwarranted. Yeah. Um fear like there's so many different things right right that become our normals our norm right right? doesn't necessarily mean we should be doing it or it's good right just because that's normal we do it every day yeah you know because a lot of the things we do are healthy and a lot of things we do we don't talk about and then we just do it to ourselves meanwhile everybody else is doing it if we all knew who was doing what we'd probably be less anxious we probably have less anxiety because like, That's true. I don't think people share like their share like their share like their stories. Like even this podcast, like us talking, like I don't think I don't feel like I have this conversation with many people no. about like really how I feel about shit, you know. And like I have, like I said, I have a very close, tight knit group of group of friends that know me, yep. and like we've we've started having these conversations the last couple of years about like anxiety and depression and just like you know relationships and that kind of thing. And like you know, it's it's interesting to know, to see how many people. You know, all my friends who I came up with are going through the same shit. Like, we all have the same kind of 
issues. It's yeah. all about, you know, we have like my one of my boys who is the biggest party motherfucker in New York, like one of the biggest party dudes in New York. He moved out of New York and like he went he went on a sabbatical to like Europe and all that stuff came back. And I was just like, and he's like, dude, you understand how depressed I was. He's like, I'm out there drinking, buying bottles, like got different girls every night. And it's like, dude, I am super like depressed. Like mm-hmm. you said, I just and now now he's just like, you know, trying to figure out his life. He's like now just like living healthy and just like, you know, like he's an adult now. I, I always I talk about I've, I, we, I describe it as grown up. Mm-hmm. Like you finally grow up, you get out of that phase of just being wanted to like screw everything and drink and party all night, and it's like now you want to figure out what life's about, you know, like what you're about, you know. It's funny because I think we go as a child, you're given everything you need, you're mm-hmm. shown right yeah. all of these things, the signs, everything's around you. Once you start to become an adult, responsibility takes over. Exactly. Right, and then it becomes about survival. Yeah. And then it becomes about, all right, I need to do this. I got that. I got to take care of this bill. I got to take care of that bill. Oh, I got to find a family. I got to have kids. I got to do this. all these pressures that we create. Right. Then once we start getting to life, and we're not okay, but we're not. We're not dead. We're not gone. We're still successful enough that we're here and we're talking about it. You start yeah. to realize that life isn't as bad. You it's start not. To, you start to talk to people and you're like, wait, you too? Like, shit, I thought I was by myself. Yeah. No, it, it, it's, it's, inter- it's interesting. Again, like, I, I just always look at life like life's not that bad. It's like, you know, once you get out of that whole, like, 20s and 30s, like, kind of just part, it's like you figure out a way that you start taking, you got to take care of yourself. You realize, like, you know, like you said, when you're a kid, you, people are taking care of you and, like, telling you what to do. And then you get in your 20s, you're like, fuck it, I'm free, I'm doing whatever the fuck I want. And you, you neglect yourself. It's like once you have to actually sit with yourself now and, like, oh, shit, like, I don't want to do all these things. I need to, like, now figure out who I am. And how to take care of me and like what makes me happy. I think that's the hardest thing for a lot of people. Yeah. It's really hard. But then in the midst of I gotta pay bills, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. But again, when you start be f- finding people that also are going through the same thing, you realize you're not alone in this whole thing. It's become makes it a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. You know? And that's why again I try to like I try to take a lot of time to myself. Like I like I'd like to like literally like that's why I've I've started, you know, really spending a lot more time alone. Okay. And just, you know, just kind of figuring things out, you know? Like, do you have, like, daily times you take out? Or? Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, mo- like a lot of my days, just like, like, in the morning, like, my mornings are just, I'll go sit and, I'll just go sit and have breakfast at a, at a restaurant by myself with, like, my pad, with my pad, and my headphones, and chill. What or you, I cook, or when writing? I'm cooking. What are you writing on your pad? Just, just writing, just writing my plan for the week, my goals. Like, I just kind of, like, sit down and just, you know, you have to take time to, like, kind of process what's going on in your in your head yep. and like kind of put it on paper I feel like you know yep. what I'm saying I think that that's very important because it allows you just to get all those thoughts out you know what I'm saying and also like you know writing down your goals gives you like a roadmap for what you need yeah, to get for done sure. for the week so like to me once all that's on paper and you can see it then it's no there's no longer this scramble of what to do what's going on it's like oh shit this is my, this is the plan yep and you just follow the plan and once you start getting those things done, like by the end of the day, even if you get half of that shit done, your day has been like you've accomplished something for the day. Yeah. Like I remember I read this book a while ago. Hold on a second. <coughs> well, excuse me. This Marine, no, it was actually no, it was a YouTube clip. And this Marine was giving a commencement speech, and he said, you know, in the Marines, what they do is they make you, you have to make your bed every morning perfectly. Mm-hmm. and that's your first task of the day. Mm-hmm. So no matter what happens during that day, 
the mo the first task you've uh, you've you've accomplished is this task of making your bed perfectly and that's and that is your like so basically he's saying like accomplishing t tasks is the is what you need to do it's like it, it's a it's a cycle yep, so like creates momentum you, yeah it creates momentum so like i make my bed every morning yep like I've accomplished this task for the day, and you feel good about it because at the end of the day, no matter how bad your days, you come home to a well-made bed. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So like I kind of try to I try to incorporate that philosophy in my my daily routine. Okay. Like I just have these. This is what I need to do today. So I'm gonna try to get as much of this done as possible. And once you when you look back and you see you've checked off these things on your list, it's like all right, cool. And you feel better about yourself. End of the day, you feel good. You feel accomplishments. Good. No right. matter what happens. Right, you're accomplished, and, I, and I I've accomplished some shit. Because when we're not doing that, is when we start thinking we're not doing shit. Yeah, and of course, it's not like listen. You know, I have my bad days, and my days where I don't do shit, and I wake up, I'm like, fuck. I didn't but do that's it. okay too. But then you also, but then you see, you feel the difference between those days and the days you've accomplished it. Mm -hmm. You know, the days you're just like sit on the couch and you're watching TV all day. It's like fuck. You wake up, and you're like at the end of the day, like, what did I do today? But the days that I wake up, days I'm on the couch and I wake up at eight, I get off the couch at eight and look and say, "Hey, I've accomplished three things on my list, though." Yep. And now you good. I got some shit done. There you go. What kind of meditation are you doing? How'd you get into meditation? My mom. Oh. My mom. My mom is my mom. You know, my mom. God bless her. She. <laughs> every time I get home, come home, my mom always asks me, "Are you okay? Is everything fine?" See, that's great. She, you know, my mom because like I ask my mom like, "Yo, do I look like I, I look like something's wrong?" With me? So, but think of, but think about that, right? No, my mom's super. My mom is like she she. Oh, my mom loves me. She super worries about me all the time. My mom always trying to take care of me, cook for me, all that. So, my mom loves Oprah. Mm. And you know, Oprah did this had this whole thing with Deepak Chopra with uh -huh. the with. So she bought me these uh, meditation CDs. Uh, okay. So I started take, I started using those when I was in Brooklyn. Okay, I started using those in Brooklyn, and uh, I mean it's like meditation's easy. Like to me, it's really like. You know, you have like a your little, you have like a like a like a chant, yeah, or something like a recurring phrase that you your mantra, you, your mantra basically. Mm -hmm. So you know, you sit there and you close your eyes and you kind of block out all, try to block out everything, and you focus on you keep saying this mantra in your head and you focus on it. And your mind may drift, but even if your mind drifts, you try to bring it back to this thing. And it's it's again, you know, you just kind of have to just do it, yeah, over and over. You're not going to do it perfectly every time, but if I try to do it for at least ten to fifteen minutes, if not thirty, but like you know, the longer you do it, I feel like you start to like your your day kind of your head your mind clears and it make the day becomes easier. You ever looked into transcendental meditation? No, I don't think I've never done that. But I meditated with Russell though. Okay. I meditated with Russell Simmons in uh in in St. Bart's one time, and that was interesting. He goes for like thirty minutes, thirty forty five minutes. It's intense. That shit's tough. Why intense? It's long. I mean, I guess I guess at the time also I wasn't like an, I wasn't like I wasn't used to it, so uh -huh. it's like it's just like you know you're like opening your eyes a little bit, like wait, is this still going on? Check out transcendental, you might like it. What's transcendental meditation? Transcendental meditation is you you go and they give you a mantra, and they it's a you do it twice a day for twenty minutes a day. Okay. Oprah actually does it. So really? That's why I was that's why I was surprised. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was I thought that's where you were gonna go with it when you said the mantra. Well, it, I don't even know if it's transcendental. It's, it's basically like the CDs would like. No, no, they. Deepak so, would be like, okay, today we're going to talk about like health, and like we have it'd give you a mantra, and you would just sit there, and just keep saying it over. It's and over it's again. similar. It's it's right. that, but they give you a specific mantra to you. Oh, really? Okay. And then you use that 
period. You don't ever tell anybody anything else. Oh. And, and so the whole idea is is to get that um, that deeper level of consciousness. Really? Yeah. That sounds interesting. It's, uh, uh, was it alert restfulness? Alert restfulness. Yeah. So you're basically like, you're there, you know everything's around. Right. But you're just calm. Right. Right. And so the whole idea, the reason they do it twice a day is so that you can kind of get a recharge mm -hmm. and the second part of your day. Because as the day wears on, your um, willpower kind of fades. Yeah. That's the truth. Yo, I right? could see that. I could see where that, is, how yeah. that works. And so it's like connecting that day. And the whole idea is that as you keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, the repetition, it kind of just sticks with you. Right. And then you stop thinking about it. Mm. And then you're just kind of mindful and aware on a regular. Yeah. That's true. My, I've I have friends who are really into like my friend G, DJ G Brown is really into like you know yoga and meditation and stuff. So he's always like talking to me about you know should be like a whole DJ coalition. Do it. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Yoga and yeah. you know what I mean like a whole lifestyle change. Yeah, I know a bunch of people who do like the DMT like. Oh yeah. Yeah, DMT. Church Would you ever do that. any of that? Yeah, I thought about it. Okay. I thought about ayahuasca it. And all ayahuasca and all that. Yeah, I thought, I thought about doing a ceremony. Like I was, I was, I was almost going to do a ceremony in January in Miami. Okay. But I never, I just never got to it. What stopped you? Um, again, he, there was this. Um, my boy was like, "Look, there are a couple books you should read. Like, I think it's um the autobiography of a yogi." Um, and he said, "Like, really start doing that and practicing yoga and all that stuff, and it's going to really help you with the whole." trip okay. you know so i'm definitely interested in doing it by the end of the year hopefully because i do believe in all that stuff i do believe like you know there's another a different consciousness and 100 oh, yeah, percent. but that's i think and then through like again mindfulness mindfulness right? that's that's really what it is is, is, you know? is being there so to understand the separation of mind body and spirit right right and to understand that we have a subconscious mind mm -hmm. we have our physical body exactly but then we have us right our spirit our chi our whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. right yeah. and that's what i'm saying the separation of our mind right cuz think about your mind as like a computer right that just absorbs right all the information all this point that's why when you're a kid you don't know anything yeah. until you start getting all those downloads all that download of new information through experience right, right. through meeting people as we gain too much experience, now we have all this information that blocks us from being in the moment. Right, Because exactly. we have so many references yeah. of similar moments, but we're not present enough. We're not mindful enough yeah. that it, life is just these moments, right? There is no tomorrow. Right. Yesterday happened. We can't change any of that, right? So even good and bad habits, how do we let those go? I mean, uh, experiences, how do we let those go? Mm hmm Right, you hold on to a good experience for too long, could turn bad. Right, right, that's true. I have great birthday memories. If my birthday isn't as good as that last one or better, then yeah, exactly. Now this birthday sucks compared to the last one. Instead of this just being my birthday, this right? Year. Yeah, you're right. Right, um, and so I think the mindfulness is part of like, yo, know, every experience you have, just let it go through completely and process, and then yeah. just let it go. Right, but our egos got to hold on to this, hold, hold on, on to that, to yeah, right, exactly. And then we create expectations, exactly. And then right. those expectations lead to us judging, right? Exactly. Whether we're expecting shit in ourselves, expecting somebody else to act a certain way, expecting this check from somebody, expecting somebody, you know what I'm saying? You're expecting this crowd to react a certain to way, react and they don't get to go a certain way. Yeah, I think no, no, I, I completely no, I completely, I completely agree with what you're saying. No, like that's. That's yeah. That's a, that's another thing that like again that you know again getting back to DJ and everything I do. It's like 
I've had to learn to like just go with what it, what what I'm doing. You know, what yeah. I'm saying not expecting shit. Like when you go in there and just realize it. I'm honestly like I started being just being grateful for the fact that I'm able to make money doing what I love. Hell yeah. You know, the fact that I'm not here. Like I remember there was a gig I did. I did a gig a couple weeks ago for some some event for some corporate corporation or whatever. And I remember like the gig not going that well. Like I remember that just you know people just super stuffy and whatever and like annoying and. You know, in the midst of just being annoyed, I was just like, yo, wait, you're getting paid well to just play music for people. Like, this is like a dream. Hell yeah. And like, it yeah. changes your whole oh, energy. You're like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? This ain't bad. This like, is this, funny now. This is fu- Yeah, exactly. It's funny, it's funny, funny now. You gave me all this paper and y'all don't want to party? Yeah, and y'all then like, don't... so years ago, <laughs> like again, so years ago, I would leave and be like, fuck, what happened this tonight? And the crowd was sucking, this crowd sucked and blah, 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 blah. And I should have done this and that and third. Like, I woke up the next morning like, I got a nice I'm check. I'm, I'm chilling. I did I'm, my job. I'm in the hotel room, yeah. chilling with a room service. Yeah. I'm on them. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm like, this is fine. So that's yeah, like, I'm good. Let's rewind it back. When did when did you? All right, so you were sus. You, you're opening for him. You're doing small gigs. All right, so yeah. When so, did you really be like? What was that gig where you were like, all right, this is really about to be on? You know. Okay, so. Um, yeah, so opening for Sus, um, and, uh, you know, so I entered for CL at Electra Records, um, and Mark Ronson was on the, on the label, it was one of the, one of the, his first albums, that we promoted his first album, um, and that's when I started going to, like, Mark's parties and stuff, and started okay. going to, like, where was um, he, where was he DJing at that time? Uh, like, I remember he would guess, no, he was actually, like, cause he was already, that was big. after life, that was th- way after life, this is way life. after life, yeah, 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 he's, like, popping, this is Mark's, like, Mark Ronson at this okay. point, so this so he was Amy doing, like, guess, already happened and all no, this is before Amy Winehouse, oh, before, this okay. is, like, first album on Elektra, and I think he had a deal with D'Angelo, D'Angelo's label before that, but he was on Elektra, um, here comes the fudge of the album, and he was doing, like, I mean, this is right around the time he did a party with Stretch at um, Central Fly mm. at that time. Yep. So he guest DJ at Lotus with uh, Russ Jones. Russ Jones was doing that with Derek yep. Corley on Monday and all that. So, so I would just travel around with Mark, just travel around and just see his parties. And I just listening to how he played. And I was like, oh, I can I can totally do this. Like he's, I mean, I thought Mark was amazing, but I was like, yo, I can play this stuff. I can play this. And this is what I like to play. Like this is what I listen to. So that, that's what inspired me to really start making mixes. And then that's how I met Voodoo Ray. So Voodoo Ray was my first introduction to having my own night i had my mm-hmm. own night i was resident luana on wednesday nights that was my residency and when i first realized that like yo i can get this popping was i think when i started djing at stereo in new york okay when stereo opened and, and like am was the resident and then um mike stats mike satsky hired me and doug grayson to fill in the nights and they would have guest DJs, and like that's kind of like where things started really happening for me. Okay, you know, stereo PM that time, that around that time, and because uh, I remember I would get because clubs were like competing, so I get I get calls like I would get the stereo, and I get a call from a club owner and be like, "Yo, I'll pay you double to come to my spot right now," you know, <laughs> <laughs> straight cutthroat. Yo, cut cutthroat, cutthroat. From there it was like ten June, and then I started traveling to Miami. I got the residency at Live. Yeah. When they opened, so I was doing live night, doing live Fridays, um, like a couple times a month, um, and uh, yeah, that's when everything started really happening, you know, really popping off. And then the event, and then the event shit was just like took the shit to the next yeah. level, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because the corporate game is a whole different thing. Corporate game is a whole different thing like, than the club, yeah. you know. Like that's a cushy. Well, not cushy, but it's a little bit different than having to play in a nightclub and making sure yeah, motherfuckers is dancing, exactly, and buying drinks and all the other. Exactly. Shit. What you started doing, like I like I said, I was doing the Russell stuff in the Hamptons for his um his charity, 
Um, started doing stuff for Nike, People Magazine, um, Fashion Week stuff, which was dope. And I'm did like, you have a manager? No, I didn't have a manager. I had a bunch of managers. I was uh, this dude, Kill Rucker, was my manager for a while. And then Jessica Rosenblum. Yeah, Jessica Rosenblum oh, yeah, was my manager right. for that's a while. Right. I do remember that. Yeah, she introduced me to Chris. Introduced me and my wife to Chris Lighty, which was you know, Chris was like a Chris was a big supporter. Like one, I love that dude, man. Like he he hooked us up with a lot of shit. He actually planned our wedding party. Oh shit! At, at, at Avenue, he helped plan our wedding party at Avenue. Got us like sponsors and all. What's we'll all about that? That's room for you. But yeah, anyway. So how'd anyway, you, how'd you get to Kiss? How did you? Um, me and Kiss met at. Uh, I was DJing at. Um, I was DJing at PM. PM okay. lines with Kiki Unique. It was like uh, and and uh, Dimitri and those guys. Um, and Kiss was a uh, one of the VIP hosts at the club. So I was so I'd go in there and I would get there early and I'd start playing my you know playing samples and different like you know all the classic cuts and shit and she would come up to me and ask me for different records and I didn't have and then the one remember one week she came the next so she came the next week with a CD of all the songs that she'd asked that I didn't have and they're all like original samples like Tupac samples and all this shit and I was like wait you know all this stuff and I was she's like yeah I said like, you should be a DJ so she was like oh you should teach me so she gave me her number and I'm thinking like you know like I'm like all right I'm I got this. <laughs> so anyway, she came by the crib and really wanted to learn. So I actually like started teaching her how to DJ. And then from there, I was like, yo, I'd tell her to come to like different clubs that I was playing at. So she would come with me to the club. And like I was like showing her like, you know. And that's where we ended up like falling in love. That's crazy. Over, through, over music, yeah. That's dope. How long ago was that? 2006. Okay. About 2006, yeah. That's crazy, you know, Damn, and the things that she comes from a world of like PR, so she was like helping me with like press kits and like, you know, making like she was good with Photoshop, so she made like my first CDs, CD covers, and all that stuff, and I was doing stuff. So it was it was interesting, dope. man. She was like, but yeah, again, in her own right, she's just an incredible DJ. Like she's just good at it. Like some people just get it. You uh, know what I'm saying? Just some people just understand music and understand how to put something together for a party. That's dope, bro. I mean, especially like that. That's you know, I I I forgot. I thought y'all just were DJing somewhere or some shit, but you taught her how to DJ. That's yeah, how I started teaching her how to DJ. So that's a real bond. That's yeah, a, that's a. She DJ my birthday, my first one of my birthday party at PM. I let her like she let her open. <laughs> I was nervous as hell. I was like, hey, don't fuck up, cause you know, cause it's on you. <laughs> it was her and Eric Lapoe. I'm very, I'm a, I'm a DJ snob, cause I didn't want to be like, yo, babe, you fucked my shit up. <laughs> no, but she killed it though. <laughs> Was she your girl by that time? Yeah, yeah she's my girl at the time. Yeah, okay. we 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 uh we linked up real quick. It just it, it was a it's a fat was a fast relationship, fast romance. So did she was she, was that a play or she really wanted to DJ? No, she, she really, really just wanted you to teach her how to DJ. No, she really no. I think she really wanted to DJ, and she told me that she had um like she had talked to other DJs about about learning. And everybody else, you know, other DJs were just like, nah, I ain't gonna teach you how to spin. Like I don't got time for that. Oh, she was so she wasn't low key looking for a husband. She wasn't low key, but she was like, no, no. But she said that she used to bring me, because she used to always bring me drinks. And she was like, yeah, I thought you were cute. And, you know, other girls would try to bring you drinks. I mean, no, no, I got him. I got him. I'm bringing him his drink. Oh, uh, okay. So it was a mutual thing, you know? So it was good. It was, okay. really, it was interesting. It was interesting the way, think, way it went down. But I felt like it was natural. And, like, again, we both had a love for, like, you know, just it, one of those things just happen, you know? Any competition between y'all? No, I don't, there's no competition. I mean, you know, we're both competitive. No, let me, I won't say there's not, there isn't competition, but it's healthy competition. Okay. You know, we help each other out. Yeah. We make each other better. You okay. know what I'm saying? When we play gigs together, like, we we make each other better. We definitely, we definitely fought, I mean, we definitely fought over music, 100%. 
That's but not I, over like a gig. But like, not over gigs. Gig. Not like I'm mad that you got this gig and blah blah blah. Because the shit comes to the same household. True. <laughs> Money comes to the same Facts. place. You know what I'm saying? So we're yeah, not. Yeah, but sometimes ego. You know, like. No, we both got egos. We both have egos. And again, we've both like, you know, when you're playing, again, you know, when you're DJing, like let's say you're DJing, with another, you're playing with another DJ, you know, you're thinking about like what records they're playing and what records you're going to play. Like you don't want somebody to step on your toes and all that stuff. And then when it happens, there's a little bit of a conflict. But when it's your wife, it's different. It's like she can sit to me and be like, babe, why would you play that? You know I'm going to play that record or blah, blah. <laughs> It's like, yo, are you gonna do me like that? Are you Why? gonna do me like that for real? <laughs> Especially with a couple glasses of champagne. She's like, yo, what's up? I'm like, oh damn, my bad. That's dope. Yeah. Or she's like, yo, why would you play that right now? Like we're doing it. Like I'm like, come on, babe. You know, but it's funny. It's funny. Do y'all do a lot of gigs together now? We do. A, so we DJ the Oscars together. Okay. That's a that's a like gig we do every year. We do a bunch of gigs together. I would say like maybe like a fourth of what we do. Really together. Damn, I didn't know it was that much. That's dope. yeah, it's a bunch. We do we we have a bunch of pe- people that hire us together, like BT, um, ABFF. I think we do together. We've done a bunch of stuff together. That's dope, yo. Yeah, like is it hard to ever separate that shit? Like life and work and wife and no, not really. I don't think it's not really like we, you know, we were we came up together. Okay, so we definitely were both very hungry and aggressive when it came to like our business. Which was dope because you have like a partner that's on your team, and you guys are looking out for each other. You know what right. I'm saying? So I and think and that's carried on through our through our marriage. Um, and I feel like it's kind of made it made our our bond stronger. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So true. it's been a, it's been an amazing thing. You know, I don't think it's hard to separate the two. Like we have our date nights and things we do together. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so y'all make outside time. of just you know the club, but you know she doesn't she doesn't do the club as much anymore. You know, she does more corporate yep. like, corporate stuff, and that's what she wants. She doesn't want, you know? Even though, like, there was a time when she would be at Avenue and I was at One Oak around the corner, like, on Friday nights, and we'd have the whole block. That's you dope. know what I'm saying? She was a resident at Avenue Friday nights. Like, there were clubs that I call all the time to play, and sometimes she just turns shit down because she's like, you know? That's dope, man. How, how, how often are you guys together? Because you guys work a lot. No, that's the thing. It's interesting. People have asked us that question a lot, and I'm just like, guys, we we work at night, so like during the day, we're like chilling. But a lot of times you travel. Like, a lot well, of yeah, that, that became the, it came, that's how it wasn't. It, that's it. Listen, we travel a lot, but we spend we do find time to spend with each other at home. Like we have a lot of our day days together. You know what I'm saying? Man. Like I don't when we travel for gigs. It's not like I'm gone for like a week. Like I fly True. right back. True. I'm never like in a city for like four days. Like it's unless like you're I on go, tour, right? like if I go to Dubai, I'll just stay there for four days because it's such such a long flight. But if I'm flying to Chicago or Miami, I come right back. Ah, okay. You and know? then she's more local now. No, she travels a lot too, but she's like same thing. Comes right back. How long have you been married? Fifteen years. No, we've been no, we married seven well, years. We've yeah, been together. Like, say, Sorry, we've been married say, I'm seven. I'm trying to do the math. I'm like 2006. Yeah, we we <laughs> together together for fifteen. Together fifteen. Yeah. And married seven. Yeah. What's the best thing about being married? The best thing about being married is having having someone who has your back, um, you know, and it, it's someone to come home to, someone yeah. to share your deepest darkest secrets and your just just having somebody with you. Just to carry on through life, to someone you know, it's like having it's family. Just having some a, a part of your family with you always. It's a lot of work, though, right? It's a lot of work. Oh, it's a lot of work. It's yeah. a lot of work. Like marriage is like it's a whole other animal than dating. Totally a different animal. Way different. 
way different. Like you just, you know, I mean, marriage is deep. <laughs> and it gets deeper every year, yeah. you know? Because it's just like you just got to like peel away at the layers of each other to find out who each other is at the core. And mm. that's really what it comes down to. And a lot of people can't handle it. No. That's why a lot of people get divorced. Like you just, there are going to be good times and bad times. And like you just got to be able to, you have to understand that all the bad thing, shit that happens, all the bad times, you have to get through those. Well, it's yeah, the only way you can't. And, and I think that when people people break up, it's like it's the you're running away from problems. Yeah. Instead of dealing with them, because everything can be dealt with, dealt with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You just have to have be have that bond and really, you know what I'm saying? Put the work in. Put the work in, and a lot of people don't want to do it. Nah, a lot of people are scared. A lot of people think that, you know, I'm soft because I'm with one woman. Or no, it's you know, not. all the temptation that's out there, and dude, all of that shit is empty. Like, yeah. That shit is empty, and like, you know, and it's 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 tough living, being in nightlife, and being in this in this game because you just see so much yeah. more than the average person. But I think you have to understand that, like, that there's nothing, like, all that shit is just it's fluff. It's yeah, not yeah. real. You, you ever get tested? Like they have peer pressure and shit like that? I mean, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's always. I mean, I'm travel. I'm all, I'm all over the I'm all over the place, all over the world. So of course, there's temptation all the time. But you just gotta, you just gotta work through that, you know. And again, also the the great thing about it is also when I'm DJing. Like again, when I play, I'm very much. <laughs> I'm in my zone. Leave I'm me alone. yo. You understand? Like so many of my friends laugh. <laughs> my, <laughs> one of my boys. He he always says like, dude, you're the best wingman of all time like literally all i have to do is sit in the booth with you and every girl that comes up to you that you push out i'm just there to i'm just there to catch it <laughs> like that's it that's I'm all you're just completely oblivious no my dude man, like yo, my friends be like yo my friends be leaving be like yeah she was trying to get with you but i got it like you know like, like uh. my boys are always yeah and that's why i'm I like having like friends with me when i'm djing so like i just keep all the bullshit away from me you know that's fucking awesome, man. It's great that y'all get to fucking DJ like that and, and, and mm. be around each other and travel and support. Because and, it's tough, man. It's like, um, you know, sometimes you get in these high-pressure environments and you got two people in the same lane. They bump heads a lot. Yeah, I, I think that, like, also, you know, she, I think she, um, as much as she did nightclubs, she really kind of pushed herself to the more the event corporate space early. Um, and I was just doing nightclubs, like, five, six days a week. And I saw what she was doing in that space, and I was like, you know, I need to, like, kind of start to adjust myself to kind of do that. Because, again, I just realized early, like, look, this is not, this nightclub thing is not going to last forever. It can't. I can't. I love the, f <laughs> listen, I'm appreciative of all the jobs that I get in clubs. But, look, I'm about to turn 40. Yeah. Like, I'm not 15 years old. I'm not 20. Like, I'm not on rap caviar every day. I don't live that life anymore. Like, that's, I'm a man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm able to keep up and, and like, because it's my job, I know the new record, but I'm not going to be, there's going to be a younger DJ MOS coming up. Is there? Gonna, is there going to be a young? Is, I mean, is that an announcement? No, I'm playing. I'm playing, I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's there's a ton of ki there's a ton of young kids that are that are that are in the game now who are DJs and they and they're and they're dope and they're nice and they're dope and then you know they have to make way for you have to make room for they they gotta they gotta come up meaning they gotta come past me and a bunch of other DJs but like still like they're coming up and at some point I'm just gonna have to step back you know and like the corporate space again is is a is, a, is I feel like is a place for like. That I just want to make sure that I'm that I have a presence in. So is that the next step, just to kind of get into that more corporate zone? Now? It's corporate zone production. You know, just kind of get out of like the nightly the nightly club thing. I mean, I think that I feel like you know my management and and I have done a good job of just 
like securing my securing my spot is doing like traveling and doing guest spots around the country. Yeah, I think that's a good place for me to be in. Yeah, rather than and then another reason why I moved from New York because I think that I was just too much of in the boroughs. Yeah, I'm just in Manhattan doing these clubs every night. You just become. Right. It's, you're just, it's almost like you're too accessible. Yeah, true. You know so. what I'm saying? It's more. I think it's better when I'm just coming in town and just being special guest, you know, yeah. kind of mm-hmm. thing. It, get, getting to L.A. ain't bad either. The weather's nice. And, and then also know, L.A., the weather's nice you know. and, like, you know, palm trees. Change, change the scenery. You know, eat vegan once in a while. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, well, shit, talk about that. You go, to, go to a yoga studio once in a while. <laughs> I mean, healthier food. Healthier food. You know? Cooking. You know, alkaline water. <laughs> so is cooking therapy for you? Cooking's another, yeah, cooking's another outlet. I love cooking. Um, I started cooking when I was in Brooklyn. No, actually, cooking started cooking when I was in college. Like, heavy. Um, but, yeah, when we moved to L.A., like, we have a really nice kitchen, so I started really, like, and big things getting up making breakfast. And then going to the gym, coming back, making lunch. Like, I'm cooking all day. Do you get into that same zone? Don't like leave me alone. Once you start cooking, leave me alone. Let me get my shit done. Yeah, a little bit, a little <laughs> bit. Like she be coming, she comes down and tries to like, yo, do you need help with anything? I'm like, no, I don't need help anything. Like I literally put put on some music, and I'm in there just like glass of wine. That's the only time I actually will smoke is when I'm really like when I'm cooking. I'll smoke. Oh, okay. Smoke, have a couple drinks, and smoke, and you know, a little cook. vibe, a little, a little relax. Vibe. Yeah, just start a vibe, okay. like you know. Right. And it reminds me of like I said, my grandmother and my mom and my aunt are cooks. So like, like kitchen is going all day that's dope you know kitchen music television just, just going all day so there's always food you know you're always smelling food all day during throughout the day in the house so i'm just used to that you know and i found again like you know when i moved to la we weren't cooking i wasn't cooking a lot and like I f- that something was off in the house to me mm. i felt like something was off and i'm like oh wait let me start and then when i started cooking and i was like all right this is what it is it didn't feel like, like I home? Gotta, it didn't feel like home. It doesn't feel like home until you start using the kitchen. Interesting. See, there's something about food, bro. Like, we, we really have a different connection. Not, not just because we have to eat. Right. But there's something social. There's something, like, that that grounds us with food. Like, connects us. Yeah, it does. I think so, too. I think that, like, it's, uh, you know, to me, it reminds me of family. Yeah. They gather, like, I have a big family, and we gather together over food. Well, that's the whole thing, right? We're, you know? we're social beings by nature. Right. When we gather, especially in celebration... Food is always there, exactly. right? And food is steeped in tradition and the history of our culture, right? Right, but not in hip hop. Just well, that's <laughs> weird. Though. That's like we were talking about that yeah. before. Like I don't know, understand why food is not. It doesn't have like hip hop and food is just not that more of a. Uh, we haven't got there yet. We've influenced food culture, right? But we have a celebrated culture, food within our culture. Some so the- I believe fusion food really went crazy right. after hip hop, after sampling. Right, that's a good point. Right, because hip-hop brought so many different people, so many different races and cultures together. I mean, so many different races together, and people started sharing their cultures. So once I started going to my friend's house that weren't raised the same way I was, I started seeing how they were raised, the food they were eating, what was in their household. Right. But music is a lot of the time what brought us together. Yeah. But there's there's such a connection between music and food. You would think there would be more of a... Yeah, with hip-hop, it's just... But you know, but also the different cultures within hip hop. Like you know, you think about like West Indian culture and like the beef patties in Brooklyn and that kind of thing. And um, 
I mean, but that, but that's specific to a specific like specific place, place, and culture, culture and, right. Whereas again, hip hop is the driving force of popular culture in a sense, right. right, and global culture, and that's what ties everybody together. So for me, it's again, how do we figure out how to, from that perspective, put food up there? We just add another pillar, hip hop. Yeah, why not? Add another pillar, yeah, hip hop. Chef, chef, <laughs> <laughs> culinary, culinary. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, yo, we covered a lot, bro. Did we miss anything? I don't know. Uh, I don't know what else to... Yeah, I mean, you know, got your DJ. Got, you know, I think we got a lot. Well, all right, so I told you there's no questions. I only got three questions. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the three questions I asked, they all got to do with um, kind of like the three pillars of the podcast, right? Okay. So what is your proudest achievement in your life thus far? The proudest achievement in my life thus far was uh, meeting and marrying my wife. Meeting and marrying your wife. Nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, most difficult experience and how you got through it? Meeting and marriage. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, bro, that's real talk. That's real talk. Um, that, that, uh, the yeah. most difficult and challenging experience in my life. Um, you know what? I went through. Um, I went through. A, I went through depression. So I went through depression for the first time. No, I recognized I was going through depression for the first time a couple of years ago. And uh, I think the hardest thing was was um, was um, admitting it okay. to myself okay. and figuring out how to get out of it. And then again, like with most things, I'm able to like think my way out of it, but like actually going and seeking help. Yep. And seeing that with a therapist and figuring out what what was going on with me and the reason, you know. And I just realized that I wasn't really like just I was working way too much yep. and not really focusing on my own personal health. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started really like again and be, moving to LA helped a lot because mm. it allowed me to kind of take a step back because in New York everything's moving so fast yeah. and you're constantly working and hustling you're not really thinking about it but when LA is kind of more laid back and I started to realize okay I need to start focusing on my health and my well being and really be mindful of what I'm consuming you know yeah. both visually. Well, you know, when I'm think, what I'm listening to, what I'm seeing, and what I'm, what I'm thinking, because that all affects, affects, you know, your affects your mind and your body. So, so yeah. So like, I really try to take time now to, to um, like I said, try to meditate, work out, put myself on a schedule. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To try to like, you know, and then like even with gigs, like when I'm going out and doing gigs, like I just got to really like focus on just taking time for myself mm -hmm. and not just keep running and not you know what I'm saying yep. yeah I mean, because you get caught be. up you get caught up especially in this game it's like it's constantly move 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 what's going what's next what's next what's next and you gotta stop sometimes you gotta take a step back chill you know So tell yourself chill cooking helped oh yeah like really focusing on the food and just really like that was part of my routine it's part mm. of my routine it's part of like it makes me happy it's something mm -hmm. that um, I'm doing for myself and not you know what I'm saying yep. I'm not like performing for somebody yeah I mean it's, it's definitely therapeutic and then, the, and then the concentration, the again, it's always finding those flow states. Exactly. Those things where we're extremely focused, exactly. right? And then things are just moving and they're flowing because you're just in that moment. Right? Yeah. I just I started, I did, like I took up, I started doing photography a couple of years ago. And that's another thing that I really started to really get into and like love it. Like shot the D-Nice for, for the inspiration, but like I started really getting into that and like editing and sitting in my computer just really like, creating something like you get into those flow states and those really help you know yeah. so let me ask you this. so you said you seek help how did you seek help 
Um, I found a therapist. I literally sat, I literally found a therapist. Like I went on like therapy dot com, mm-hmm. whatever, and found somebody in my area. And like in L A, there are a million therapists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a thing out there, you know. It <laughs> is a thing, thing out everywhere. there. And like you know, I've never really, I've been to like a therapist once or twice in my life, but I never really thought that I needed one. And yeah. then when I sat down, we started talking. I'm like, oh shit, I need a therapist. Jesus, yeah. I don't know, like you start working through a lot of issues and a lot of problems. And like it wasn't like I was a, like I have like some deep dark something, yep. but it was just somebody to talk to mm-hmm. about certain things you're thinking about and how to work through that. Do you feel Sound, what I'm saying? A sounding board, right? sound, but exactly, right? You know, because you want to know somebody can relate to you, right? Because right. when we go through our depression, a lot of times we isolate ourselves, right? That's what we were talking yeah. about before, and we don't kind of reach out, we don't express, right? Right? We go into solitude, and right. so. A lot of the times when we have that sounding board, we get through it. That's why I was asking you, like, how you process things. Yeah. Like, do you fully, like, feel everything out and, and, and get through the end of what that thought is? Yeah, I do I do now. I just think, I think also what's tough is, like, is being a DJ is, like, a kind of a solo thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a solo sport. So, like, you know, whatever you're dealing with, it's kind of like, even when you're, when I'm working, it's like my friend's out there partying. I'm literally, I'm worried about the party. Like, I'm yep. the one... As much as you guys are having fun, I'm working at the end of the day. Or I'm, you guys, when you guys are having fun, it's because I'm here working. Yeah, because I'm here working. So, like, <laughs> I, there's so many different stresses and things that I've had to deal with over time that I just haven't, like, expressed and dealt with. Mm-hmm. It's just you had to, it's good to have somebody to, like, kind of talk to and just, yeah. you know. And then, and then again, after going to, going to the therapist, now that, like, you know, talking to my friends who party with me, now we actually are having real conversations because... You know, I'm able to say, hey, this is how I was feeling. This is what I'm going through. And like, oh, shit, dude, I'm going through the same thing, yep. blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's interesting. So you kind of became that person in your crew? Yeah, I started like, you know, I was I was the person just like, no, first I was the person that I was talking, talking, telling people like, yo, dude, just shit, you know, I'm just not feeling like, th- you know, feeling like this and blah, blah, blah. And just sitting down with, with friends and talking. And now they're like, we actually have like a crew of people that we just, we check up with each other. Yeah, that's dope. I like that. Y'all should check in on each other. And yeah. all y'all out there should check in on each other. Too. Exactly. Because it's y'all friends. Um, all right. So top three moments in hip-hop. Top three moments in and hip-hop. And this could be, obviously, that's for your whole career is hip-hop. In my, in, right? in my opinion, I, for me. I well, mean, your experience. In my experience. Your experience. Top three. These are not in any particular nah, order. No order. No order. I would say the the dry, the, the purple tape. Mm. That was probably, yeah, the purple tape. That... Listen, Cuban Links, probably top three albums for me ever. Yeah. Like, yeah, Ghost and Ray, in fucking incredible. Uh, Jay Z, was it the Black Album tour? That tour? What was it? The uh, uh-huh. Black Album? The Black Album. That tour. Is it a tour? Yeah, that tour. Oh my God. Like, that, that, that video of that, that, that movie of the, um, the Fate to Black movie, that was incredible. Mm. I thought that was top three and then what's the what's the third one this is tough <laughs> i know you got because i know like when i leave i'm like fuck i should have said this i should have said that should that this is just a, off the top but of a, head. But a lot of the times it's those first things you say they just pop up yeah you know what i'm saying like because that's the thing sometimes we overthink them yeah and then i would say probably illmatic Remember no right? top three moments in hip-hop but it could be an album release why not that's a moment Shit, trust me. Illmatic was a motherfucking shit, moment. Changed, yeah, that changed that the way was people a rap. That changed the way people rap. 
that changed the way people put out albums. That changed the length of albums. That yeah. changed because they were like, "What do you mean you can only put ten, you can put ten songs? You only get paid for ten songs? Ten oh. songs? All oh. the all the producers they had on like Premiere, but LES, and, then, and then how many songs? Q-tip. Were I mean, how many ten albums records. did you have that you didn't skip a song? Yeah, we didn't really have that. There was barely like that shit was. Bruh, that's a moment. Damn, but there's also like, damn, there's also like low end theory. There's a bunch of different. <laughs> like I'm thinking like in all the yeah, releases, but but I, I but maybe even, Biggie passed, and that was like like yeah, that was a t- that was a tough one. That's a tough moment. I don't know if that was a great moment. I'm not great. Pre- you great moments. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't mean traumatic moments. Traumatic. Moments. I'm just there's saying like pivotal moments in hip hop. Okay, great moment in hip hop. The last one would be. Yeah, I'm just thinking, I think I'll go with Illmatic for me. Right. I think because you know what it is. I don't know what it was, but I mean, obviously, Illmatic's an incredible album. But like Illmatic for me, like changed something. It changed something. Changed something in me. Yeah. Like it really made me like, yo, this is what I want. I want to be part of this mm. culture. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you're something about the army jackets and the fucking and the fucking. Remember the remember the the the, uh, the skull cast with the with joint, with the the the, the with the bill and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And like there's something about that whole vibe, like that just it just stuck. It just the changed. Thames, yeah. No, I mean that was like it, it just it made you proud though. to be like, part, proud to be from New York. Like New York just, state of mind. yeah, New York state of mind. That's like exactly like is Illmatic was the title. New York state of mind was really. The essence of that album. Yeah, I was a you know Nas. What I'm yeah, like I'm a Nas fan, like super fan. I DJed. I've DJed a couple parties for him actually, which was really ill. Like come full circle. Like I DJed his um, 40th birthday, and I think I DJed his birthday party a couple years ago. And I've seen him. Like I've actually became cool with become cool with him, which is really crazy, crazy to me. Yeah, so that's gotta be crazy. Moment, so right? that was a, yeah, that was a pivotal I mean, because that's the thing about life is the full circle moments, right? Yeah. Right? When you feel like you tie these little things, like you had this thought and then all of a sudden this happens. Yeah. There was a time, I remember there was um quick story. I was DJing uh, for Khalees when Nas and Khalees were together. It was her, I think it was, no, it was my boy Damon's birthday party and Khalees was there. And then Khalees did a dinner at her house mm-hmm. in LA because it, it was right after she got out of culinary school. Mm-hmm. And her and I were together. So I remember, like, my boy Damon, legendary Damon, shout out to him. He was, like, uh, he's one of Khalees' best friends, and he knows how much of a Nas fan I am. So <laughs> before he gets to the crib, he's like, look, I know you're a fan. Nas may be there. Don't freak out. Don't embarrass me. Freak out. I'm like, nah, I'll be cool, man. I'm chilling. <laughs> Yo, Kiss was laughing at us. She's like, yo, he's going to be fine. <laughs> She's like, nah, he's not. He's going to freak out. So we walked into the crib. Khalees is cooking. Because, you know, Dame, you know, Dame was with all of Khalees and her friends and Kiss and all that stuff. So I'm like, I'm like part one of the only dudes there. So, um, I'm, so I'm chilling in the living room, and then Nas walks out, smoking a blunt. I'm just like, oh, shit, here we go. So maybe we started talking and shit like that. So we ended up smoking and talking, like, super cool. And he was showing me this record. He said, you know... When I was talking about, like, when I was young, I was a fan of Jackson 5. This is the actual record I was talking about. He had the record, so he showed it to me, and I, like, held it. And I was kind of like, mm. holy fucking shit. Like, this is crazy. Like, I'm sitting there, like, I got to text my boys. Like, I go to the bathroom, like, text my friend, like, dude, guess what just happened, you know? Um, and he was telling me, like, crazy stories about him and Big and all that stuff. So it was really, like, that was a crazy moment for me. Yeah. Like that was probably that's probably biggest hip hop moment for go. me. That yeah. may be my biggest hip hop moment ever. So I, that was I, it. I like that one. 
Yeah. So we'll leave we'll leave off with that one. We'll leave with that. Yeah. Appreciate your time hanging my out. My brother, with me. appreciate you. Thank you, you know for having me. Right, this no is doubt. good. You know, I know you're tired and you know. No, this I is good. This is almost like a therapy session, actually. This is like really like kind of you just getting out. Uh, but I mean, life is good. Be a little you know? bit therapeutic like this. Yeah. Right? But just... conversations like this, I feel, are important. For sure. Super important. So, like, yeah, shout out to you for doing this. Uh, and I appreciate you, bro. Thank you for having me. Thank you. My brother. Appreciate it. Thank y'all, man. Again, it's another episode of Mask Off, a podcast about life, mental health, and hip-hop. And make sure y'all check out my man, DJ M-O-S. You can find him everywhere. All right? Catch y'all soon. Peace.